Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam Etris and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. As Christ followers, we can often wonder, what will heaven be like? Will we be busy or bored? Will we know our loved ones? Listen as Pastor Tim brings a talk from the series Homecoming, where we are exploring what the Bible has to say about heaven. We hope that this talk will encourage and inspire you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Um, The past several weeks, I've had three significant events that have taken place in my life that have impacted the stuff my wife and I own. Three different things that happened. First of all, six to seven weeks ago, two tornadoes passed through Hampshire County here in West Virginia. And um, that's where our cabin is located. We have a small cabin in Hampshire County. And the newspaper specifically said that the two tornadoes passed over the very mountain where our cabin is located. Now, I, I didn't know about it when it was happening because my wife and I were here in Morgantown, but we have a neighbor that lives at the end of the dirt road where we are, and he came to kind of check on things, and he said, there's a tree that fell over, and it's resting on the power line to your cabin. You better come and and take care of it, and so as soon as I could, I went out there, and here's a picture of what I saw when I got there. It was a massive, massive tree, completely just cut in half there. It It used to be like 15... Feet, uh, proudly standing 15 feet from our cabin, and, and it just was completely snapped in half. Here's another picture, second picture. This was the picture that was taken during or around the time that the uh, power company came, and I, I was thankful that they cut it down because it was on the power line. It saved me a little money, but uh, they cut it down. But notice how close it, I mean, you can see that it's like almost resting on the edge of the cabin there. I mean, that was like a a big deal. I was glad I wasn't there when this happened because I think I saw the path. Because just not far from that, on the other side of the cabin, there was another tree that was completely severed in half. And so it looks like it just went right like that. If I were out there at the cabin, I would have seen it. Um, And I, I hate to admit it, but I'd be out there with a camera if it was far enough away. But I'm glad there wasn't more, more of a problem with it. The second event that happened, I talked about a couple weeks ago where a water line broke at the house. And uh, they had to dig up the entire water line going all the way to the front of the house where the meter is all the way up to the house. And, and it was just kind of a big deal. So here's one of the pictures I took of that. What you're looking at is actually a drainage pipe. The water line, unfortunately, was underneath that. So they had to rip out both of them. And then here's another picture here where they had to dig up some of our driveway actually in order to make this repair. This repair ended up being fairly expensive because of all the work involved. I was thrilled though, they were able to do it quickly and they did a nice job with it. But you know, it's just like, what an inconvenience you know, for this to happen. And then a third thing happened a couple weeks ago. I was going back to my cabin to do some work and um, on the message and writing and whatever, and uh, I walked in and was startled by what I saw. I walked through the front door and stuff was knocked over all over the place. There were candles knocked over, there were bottles on the ground, this lamp was knocked over. And by the way, I didn't buy that lamp, it came with the cabin if you're, 
wondering about my taste and decoration. But it was, it was, there was stuff knocked over everywhere in the bathroom. All the, the toiletries were in the tub or in the, the shower there and the bedroom things were all messed up. And then the back door looked like this because some animal had been trying to get out. And so it was scraping like this. There was a pile of that wood there, plus in the bedroom, plus in the bathroom. And the scary part about this when I walked in is I thought it might still be in here. And there were claw marks that went up two-thirds the way on that back door. And I thought, well, this has got to be kind of big. You know, whatever this thing is, I thought it might be. Like, was it a small bear? Was it a raccoon? We have bear spray just in case. I did discover the problem here. I actually smelled it first. Um, I searched and I found that underneath the sink area, there's this open area and where the dishwasher is and a squirrel, a, a full adult squirrel had, had gone under there, got stuck and breathed its last after causing all this damage. Now you might wonder, what am I talking about all this and how does this relate to the subject of our homecoming series? Well, I mentioned a few weeks ago that one of the reasons there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth is because this heaven and this earth are gonna wear out, that they're not as God originally created it, that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, a curse came upon everything in creation. Work became work. God specifically said to Adam, from now on, you're not gonna get the yield you got before from your crops. There'll be thorns and thistles and rocks and things. We live in a world now where things break, they wear out, they rust, they get corroded, they destroy. We live in a world where things die. And apart from our eternal souls, if you were to look around this room or in a living room if you're watching there, if you were to look around, everything you can look at, apart from the people that are sitting there, aren't eternal. In a thousand years, it'll all be gone. It's all gonna pass away. Now, the reason I wanna talk about this is because too often, I think we live for this stuff. And yet, God has made it clear all of this is gonna pass away. And so we read in Hebrews 1, verses 10 and 11, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. Now, I'm glad there's gonna be one day a new heaven and a new earth, but, but this is a, a prediction, a prophecy that things are gonna wear out, kind of like a garment that gets threadborn or, or moths eat it up or whatever. That's, that's the future. Isaiah the prophet said exactly the same thing, Isaiah 51.6. He said, look up to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Despite our best efforts to preserve our things, to protect our things, to control, make sure nothing bad happens to our things or even to the entire planet, we know where things are headed. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of things. I think we, we should steward well whatever it is that we have, but realize this is, not, this is not the future. And yet, again, oftentimes what we end up doing is spending our entire lives invested in this, in stuff that's gonna pass away. Job understood in the Old Testament, I'd call him like a patriarch of the faith. He was a guy that lost all his stuff. 
And when his wife said to him, why don't you curse God and die? He said, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name, I mean, it's not about the stuff. I mean, he understood that. But sometimes we don't. And the question I want to raise today is this, is there something to which we can give ourselves that will have some permanence, that will last? Are are there investments that we can make that will last forever, for eternity? My takeaway today is this, that we need to invest in eternity. And Jesus was the one who talked about this, talked about storing up, treasure in heaven and not on this earth. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. I'd like to read verses 19 and 20 where Jesus was speaking on the whole subject of wealth and money and, and loving money but also being afraid when we don't have enough. In Matthew six nineteen, he said, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, or but, collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, what did he mean by that? How on earth do you store up treasure in heaven? And what is the nature of the treasure? I mean, what, what do we, are there like, is there a bank up there with a bunch of gold bars? I mean, what are, we, what are we storing up there? What is the nature of the treasure and how specifically do we do it? I mean, what, what, do we, what can we do on this earth that would have the impact of making an investment for the future? Now, Jesus' wording here is kind of interesting. In this version, it says collect. Don't collect for yourself stuff on earth. Don't collect. The word means to accumulate. The word can also mean to hoard. And I think that captures the idea. It means, you know, storing it up, a pile of it here, hoarding it. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't hoard stuff on this earth, but instead, and it's the same word, he says hoard stuff in heaven. And again, it begins to raise this question, what exactly can we store up in heaven? Now, he's not saying don't save for the future. When he says, you know, don't store up treasure in heaven, he's not saying don't put money away in an IRA or something. There are other verses in the Bible that make it clear you're to prepare for your future. Even the ants do that. They gather in the summer so that they'll have what they need in the winter. No, that's wisdom. What Jesus is talking about here, though, is an orientation that focuses only on this world and this stuff as if it's worthy of our lives. And it's not. Jesus told a sobering parable about a guy that wanted to just accumulate for himself. He was a, he was a wealthy guy who had a particularly good year with his crops one year, a bumper crop. And so he decided to tear down all his small barns and build big ones. And then he was going to store all of his grain and everything and just fill up the barns with this. And then it's what he did next that was the problem. And then he said, I'm just going to kick back 
and just enjoy myself for the rest of my life. That's, that was kind of his perspective about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store all of this up, and I'm finally going to be set. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finally all situated in this life. And Jesus said about him, you fool, don't you know that your life is going to be required of you this very night? And who's going to get your stuff? Now, Jesus' application was he said, such it'll be for those who are rich in this world but not rich toward God. The issue is not, by the way, being wealthy. I could demonstrate very clearly that wealth is not the problem. It's if you're rich in this world but not at the same time rich toward God. If you do not have an orientation that recognizes that this world, there's more to this world than this world. There's more to this life than this life here. And so when Jesus said, don't collect treasures in heaven, the literal translation of that, by the way, is treasure, not treasures. Or we, we could put it this way, value, not valuables. And Jesus explained partly why. I mean, the whole, whole chapter, is, or most of the chapter is about why. But he says the, the reason why is that it, it's, again, going to perish. In biblical times, your wealth was not determined by the size of your portfolio or your bank account how much gold you might be investing in or whatever. It was, it was based on your possessions, all the things that you had. And, and in biblical times, even clothing was wealth. I don't mean that you would dress nicely if you were wealthy. I mean that how many art, things you have in your closet would determine your wealth. And Jesus said, well, the problem with investing everything in that is that the moths get at it. The problem with all the stuff we buy is that it corrodes. You know, I have an old antique car at my house. It's just been sitting out there for three years, corroding. So it's not, it's like, I don't want, you know, everything. Or it gets stolen. And even if our stuff is in maybe a secure banking institution or whatever, I'm reminded of 1929 when the stock market crashed and people were jumping off buildings because in one moment they saw everything they had evaporate. And that's why Jesus said it's foolish if, if you invest everything in this and then this is all gone, what do you have? But Jesus was talking about having a, a different focus. What if we could start putting away treasure in heaven or actually store up, up there? Now, what is the treasure in heaven? Well, he doesn't say. But let me mention a few things about it from my perspective, a few things about that treasure in heaven. Number one is I think it, what we value, will value then is not going to be the same as what we value now. So if, if you have in your mind that it's going to be a bunch of gold bars and a bank vaults somewhere, probably not. In fact, Jesus even said that what people value, God hates. And he was talking about money at the time. And so I don't think that's what it is. I don't think it's... it's it's that kind of wealth. So you say, well, then what, what is it? What are you storing up? What is it that you're, you're putting away that, that will be waiting for you as soon as you arrive? And I think it can be, number one, I think part of it is, and this may not seem that wonderful right now, but it's honor. I think that Christ is going to honor us in the next life. In fact, the most wonderful thing that any of us could ever hear would be from Jesus' lips, well done, good and faithful servant, in the presence of all the creation to acknowledge that. I think it's gonna be more than that, though. I think it's gonna be additional responsibility to serve God 
in greater ways than we did on this earth. Jesus told a couple parables along those lines where he described a a landowner that went away but left some resources to his managers to take care of while he was gone. And then when he came back, what did he do? He said, well, you've been faithful with this little bit. I'm gonna give you 10 cities to manage. You know, you were faithful with what I gave you over here. I'm gonna give you this thing over here, something bigger, some greater responsibility. I think that'll be it. I think it will be uh, relationships. I wanna touch on this next week. But Jesus talked about the fact that when we're about the gospel, we provide for ourselves openings into the homes of other people in eternity. It's a kind of a weird idea, but I think it includes that. And then I also think it will probably include physical things. I don't think it's the exclusion of that because as all along I've been telling you, I think our eternity is gonna be on a new earth that's gonna be like this one, only better and improved. And I think some of the things that are true of this earth are gonna be true about then, and I think there will be treasure in heaven that relates to maybe earthly things. It it, it might actually have to be that you get something nicer than someone else might get, although you won't in pride hold on to that thing. We don't know exactly for sure. But we need to be investing in the next life. Jesus continued by saying why this matters so much though that we have this orientation now in verse 21 when he said, for where your treasure is your heart will be also. This is the real issue. If we evaluate what is it I treasure, that's where your heart is. If you find, if you can identify the treasure, that's the thing, that's where your heart is gonna be attached. So where exactly is your treasure? Our treasure should be God himself, of course. We're told, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, I I think that's the, I think we're to love God and love Christ is the most important thing, but things do get in the way. I think we'd all acknowledge that. The Apostle John said, don't love the world or the things of the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You don't have the capacity to love both. We think we do. I can love both. No, you can't. We have to decide which one is, in a sense, calling the shots in our lives. What are we living for? For whom are we living? Then Jesus went even a step further, and he gave an interesting illustration about the importance of focusing on the right thing. He said in verse 22 of Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now this might seem just a little bit confusing, but when he says here, if your eye is good, you'll be full of light, the word good there doesn't mean undiseased. What it means is actually, it's the word for sincere or single or focused. It has the idea that if, you're, if your eye is focused on the one right thing, then you'll be living in the light. But if not, you're double visioned. To a couple things here, you know. Dr. Warren Wearsby wrote about this. The eye here speaks of the outlook of the heart. A simple eye, which was a good eye, means one that is fixed on the spiritual. It's the opposite of the double-minded person. Jesus clearly tells us that we cannot look in two directions at the same time. 
serve two masters and live for God and material wealth. Now the bottom line is that what we go after, where our focus is, will determine the direction of our lives and it reveals something about us. Jesus worded this kind of interestingly. He said the eye is the lamp of the body. Now why did he say that? In what sense is our eye a lamp? Well, according to a scholar by the name of H. Coaster, the widely held ancient conviction was that the human eye has its own light that shines on the dark surroundings and thus makes it possible for the person to see. The idea was that they believed that light actually emanated from the eye to allow you to see outward. I mean, they'd recognize there's light out there, but they'd say, in a sense, our, our eyes are a lamp. And so whatever you look at, it illuminates that thing. You can see this and you can see this. But Jesus did something interesting with this illustration. A scholar by the name of Luz puts it this way. The hearers are completely startled when they realize that the eye mentioned in verses 22 and 23 shines not outwardly but inwardly into the body. Simply what put, what Jesus was saying is, yes, indeed, the eye is a lamp. It does shine on something, but what it reveals is the darkness in here. A darkness that's revealed when our focus is entirely on the stuff of this world. We're blind. As Christians, we're blind if we do not recognize and acknowledge that there's more to this life than this life. And if our whole lives are consumed with this, we're blind. That's what Jesus was saying here. And then he went on to say in verse 24, no one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. I find Jesus' words here kind of ironic because I think of money being my slave. You know, I use money to get what I want. I'll use my money, you do with it what I want you to do. So I view myself as the master of my own money. But Jesus worded this differently. He said, no one can be a slave of two masters. And then he said, the two masters are either money or God. And as I reflected on that, I thought, that's, that's really true. Of course, you can't love both at the same time. You can have both at the same time. You can't have wealth and God. You can't love them both. See, that's what the issue is. You can't love both of them at the same time. Because one will take your attention. But uh, they're, they're a master. And you say, well, no, they're not. Yeah, what, think for a moment what people will do for money, for wealth. You know, occasionally a survey will come out. If you were given a million dollars, would you kill somebody? People actually say yes. It's like, you know, what would you do for a million dollars? You know, there are these kinds of things. What do we do for our wealth, for our stuff, for a comfortable life. Now, we, we want to work hard and this and that, but sometimes we slave away at our whole lives, accumulating, thinking that's what life's about. That's what Jesus is speaking against here. So that's not what it's about. Money is, is a problem, by the way, regardless of if you have a lot or a little. Because if you have a lot of money, you tend to serve at the altar of materialism. If you have a little money, you serve at the altar of anxiety. And in Matthew 6, Jesus addressed both of these, that money in and of itself, wealth, just, just has too prominent of a role in our lives. And as Christians, we need to recognize that. And then we need to get outside of it and say, with what I have, I want to start living for eternity. 
But what does that look like? How do we invest in eternity? In the short time that remains, I want to mention two things. And then next week, Lord willing, I'd like to cover four more. What did Jesus say? What do we do to invest in eternity? The first one I'd like to suggest is this, is that when we take care of those who are in need. Luke chapter 12 is the gospel writer Luke's version of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So he recounts what Matthew recounted in Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. In Luke 12, we have his version of this, and he talks about giving to the poor. And in Matthew 12, 33, he wrote, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure. See, there's some interesting descriptions here about this. Money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus often talked about this. Caring for the needy around us. And by the way, in the context, even in, in biblical times, the, the primary application of that would have been the, the needy people of faith. It doesn't mean you don't help beyond that. But the primary emphasis was on caring for those of the household of faith, as Paul said in Galatians. Now, the Apostle Paul also talked about this, how we store up treasure when we give to those in need. He was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. The context is specifically he was addressing those who are wealthy. And I think a lot of people, when they read that, they think, well, I'm not wealthy, so it doesn't apply to me. But it does. If you live in this country, most of us are wealthy by the standards of the rest of the world, or else you haven't traveled outside much. And this is what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 18. Instruct them, those who have means, to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so they may take hold of life that's real because real life is not in the stuff of this world. So, so be, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share because you're gonna store up, it says here, a good reserve. The word reserve there means a foundation. Paul is talking about laying a future foundation for all eternity. You see, that's the other thing about this world, this life we live in, is that it's, we're here, what, how many years? 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, 110? He's talking about laying down a foundation for all eternity. And one of the ways we do it is by being willing to share, by being willing to be generous and care and do good works and things like that, show our love for Christ by the way we treat other people. So that's one way we do it. How else? Number two, when we privately practice our devotion to God. Now what I mean by this is, is I, in the Old Testament, I think the word or in the Bible is the word piety. What I'm talking about is when you sincerely live out your faith before God alone not before the eyes of other people. Jesus talked a lot about the problem of people doing things when their motives are just to be seen by other people. Jesus said, if you do that, if you do things, spiritual things, religious things, to be seen by others, you will get a reward. The reward is this, people will think you're special. He said, Jesus said about them, you already have your reward. If you do it to be seen by others, you already have your reward. People think highly of you, that's very nice. But 
He talked about doing things in a way where your father only sees, and then he rewards you. He sees what you do in private. And so in Matthew 6, 6, for example, we read, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this isn't, by the way, saying you can't ever pray out loud. It's talking again about motives. You know, people that pray to be seen. I've been in prayer meetings before where I I try not to judge, but I've had the impression that this person's long, long prayer was more about impressing everyone with their ability to pray for a long time than it was about, I don't know, I I don't want to ever judge that, but he, he warns against this problem. So you pray quietly. It says here, if you do this before your father, he'll see you in secret and it says he'll reward you. That word reward is kind of interesting. A scholar by the name of Crutchfield says it's a verb used to describe giving payment in return for something. This word refers to a reward that is given as an appropriate compensation for a particular action. So the verse says when you pray in privately to God, God will pay you for that. Now, I don't know why he would. I'm amazed that he would. But the point Jesus was making is that God sees it and and he will repay you for that. Now the repayment might be in this life. He might give you the answer to your prayer. But as we've already talked about this and then next week, there are a lot of rewards out there that Jesus talks about that are only about the next life. So prayer is one. Here's another one in verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people but to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. People fast. They go without food or sometimes food and water so that they might humble themselves to spend time just devoted to God. And in biblical times, often what would happen is when people fasted, they wouldn't bathe. And they'd wear their their grimy clothes. They wouldn't put on any, in our case, it'd be deodorant or whatever. And and they'd walk around with a solemn face. And anyone would look at them and say, oh, you must be fasting. They said, yeah. And people would look at them and say, oh, you must be really spiritual because you're fasting. Well, Jesus said, if you do that, you got your reward already. I mean, it's nice that people think you're so spiritual, but, but your father's not going to be impressed with that. He says, you do it in secret, he'll reward you. He sees the sacrifice you make when you set aside the food. And it says he'll reward you. Again, it might be through an answered prayer. It might be for eternity. I think it'll be an eternity no matter what. But in addition, it might be through answered prayer or something else. And then he says here in Matthew 6, 3 and 4, and we touched on this, but it's in this context. Now, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that you can't give to something and put your name on the check or whatever. Again, we're getting to the motive of this. Even in biblical times, if someone gave it the temple, people would see you doing it. The point is when you do it, And in biblical times, it indicates that they used to blow horns and things. Here comes a big gift. And and God is saying, no, it's, it's the stuff people don't see. They don't know how much. They don't know exactly what you're doing. And there's a reward. 
Now, today we've looked at two ways in which I think we can invest in eternity when we care for those who are in need, when you have a heart for those who are in need. You step up and you meet that. And privately, when you practice your faith or your devotion to God. Let me leave us with some questions by way of application. Uh, First of all, for some of you, the, the first question you need to ask is, are you in a citizen of heaven? Have you come to a point where you've put your trust in Christ? Because that is the starting point. We need a savior, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Josh talked about this two weeks ago. I encourage you to listen to that talk. He talked about how Jesus came from heaven, and so he's alone the one that's able to take you up to heaven himself. But second, I want to ask this question for you just to evaluate in your own life. What is it? Where is your treasure? You know, what is it that you really treasure? Have you ever stopped to reflect on what is it that... It tends to be the thing, by the way, we devote our time to and our energy and our money. Oftentimes, that tends to be where our treasure is. Where's your treasure? It's what you talk about all the time. It tends to be your treasure. And then a third question here is, what investments are you making for the next life? What are you doing that's to invest in the next life. Jesus closed this section by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all this other stuff will be added to you, but seek first that kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.